This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Our highest purpose for each of us is to realize our fullest potential by living our most authentic life, unapologetically, in color, and out loud. But we all face barriers between imagining what that life looks like and then actually living it. Those barriers come in all shapes and sizes. Some are mere hurdles, while others are brick walls. These are the boxes we find ourselves in. We started building them at different times and for different reasons. We had different tools at our disposal. The world can be an overwhelming and unpredictable place, and we use these coping mechanisms and mental constructs to deal with and make sense of it all. Some are healthy, and some are destructive. Just as each person's journey is unique, so are the boxes we live in. Valeria Tellis interviews Wendy Tamis Robbins, the author of The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. Wendy Tamis Robbins is a lawyer by day, writer by night, and a professional panic attacker. Despite near-crippling anxiety, she worked her way through Dartmouth College and law school before, in her 30s, she set her mind to overcoming the anxiety and panic attacks that increasingly limited her life. For the past 20 years, she has worked in corporate finance, creating and preserving affordable housing and lending to underserved communities. Meet Wendy at wendytamisrobbins.com. Here is the interview with Wendy Tamis Robbins. In your own words, who is Wendy Tamis Robbins? Wendy Tamis Robbins is a survivor and a seeker. With that answer, Seeker. I have heard that before. Of course, some of my guests, they say that. And I usually ask, what are you seeking? Yeah, yeah I think I'm, I'm always seeking. For so long, I was, uh, you know, seeking calm and peace and seeking it externally. Yeah. And then, you know, as I went through that journey, realized that it was really what I was seeking was always within me. So it was really a journey to come back home. And I think now that I've found that, you know, there's this universe inside of all of us that is just never ending. So continuing to peel back the layers and seek deeper peace and Mm -hmm. more connection and a deeper understanding of really where, you know, my place in the universe, I guess. What is spirituality to you, Wendy? What is to be spiritual and freedom 
How would you describe what it feels to be free? What is freedom to you? I feel like freedom feels like the opposite of the shackles of whether it's mental illness or cultural um, things that, you know, culturally we are caged in or whether it's, you know, I grew up Catholic and you were just mentioning what's what's spirituality to you, you know, just releasing yourself from all of the all of those mental constructs that we are indoctrinated from a very young age, whether it's around you know, gender or race or all of it. So as we, it's almost like a deprogramming. Mm. And that's just sort of on the, as a human, right? Having the human experience. But then there's that second level of the spiritual realm where then we start to, like I was saying earlier, go within. And what does freedom look like on that level? And then it's interesting when you say going deeper, I wonder if there is such a thing at that level when we we no longer seek anything, when we are satisfied and we embrace everything, life as it is, and what it looks like in in every moment. I'm wondering if there if there is any deeper level to go when this unconditional love sets in. Mm, I like that because that's sort of the duality, right? You're yeah. seeking you're seeking the spot where you don't need to seek anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. When you embrace everything. Yeah. As right. exactly as it is. I do find that deep in meditation. I think that that's one of the gifts that I found in meditation, that there is this, this deeper level of calm and peace that I find in that state where I do stop seeking. There is that release, that letting go. So, Yeah. During meditation, have you found that kind of peace without meditating or outside of the state of meditation or the meditative state? I I guess, yeah. Sometimes when I'm in nature and it's really quiet and I feel at one with, you know, by the water, I can watch the birds and feel as if I'm there, you know, almost as if I'm flying too. I have those moments of, it's almost like a feeling of transcendence, like transcending what it feels like to be locked in this human body. And I can really get outside of myself. And I think those are the moments that I feel that deep calm and peace, um, like I do in meditation, yeah. Mm, yeah, I can relate to that. Another um, question or idea that I've been, I've been wondering is that, that everything seems to be a feeling. So even the feeling that um, being separated from that state of inner peace, that's a feeling. So everything is a feeling in a way of being free and not being free. It's almost the same. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, do you want to comment on that? Well, right, because it's you can find freedom in. I mean, you, we've seen so many stories like this where some people find freedom when they're in prison, right? The opposite. It's all about what our thoughts are about our circumstances, right? So you can be in the middle of the forest, completely free. But I've had those instances where. I'm having a panic attack because I'm in the forest alone. And it's my thoughts that are creating that feeling of I'm unsafe. I'm in a prison. I'm, you know, versus, like I said, somebody who's incarcerated could feel completely free of all of the things that were 
imprisoning them on the outside of those walls. So it is all about our thoughts and it's important to recognize, right, the power, the power that our brain has over over our human condition if we don't control it and use it for our benefit. Yes, 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 a billion times <laughs> about the, the human brain creating all this, yeah, uh, the feelings of separation, of anxiety, of all the, everything really, a feeling of love, everything has been created in the brain from my perspective. I wonder also if it is possible to control that or if the ultimate freedom comes from accepting that, that the brain is creating all these illusions, all these feelings. Um, I'm more in the camp of um, trying to bring awareness to it and accepting that it's happening, but also accepting my role in knowing that it's a choice and I can control that choice. If I feel like if I had just accepted the way that my mind was interpreting the world for, you know, my during my 20s and 30s, and I feel like I would be a completely different person now, like it took a lot of hard work to take back control over, you know, the hypervigilance, the, all of those saboteurs, all of the reactions to the trauma um, that I had been through as, as a child and things like that, you know, to sort of take back, take back my life from, from the way that my brain had been programmed to really reprogram it. Yeah. So you do believe in choice and being able to choose. For some reason, that has been another interesting topic for me, that control, choice. I'm not sure if that we are choosing anything. It seems to me like life is doing what it does, and it feels like we are choosing. <laughs> but it's just life being itself. It feels like it. <laughs> yeah, because I know as a child, it was... I always had the, these visions of who I would be and who I knew I could be. And when it wasn't working out that way, that was always sort of what I was holding on to. You know, I knew there was, I knew there was more for me and I knew, but maybe that's the way it was going to play out all along anyway. Right. Like that was the story that I needed to um, be a character in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I believe in the reason in the sense of, a designer, the universe kind of manipulating everything. I mean, it's energy, everything's energy. But I don't know about um, this linear plan. It seems like there is benevolence behind it all, that in the end, it always uh, seems to go back to this place, this space of unconditional love. It always does, but I have no idea why. It's incredible how that happens too. Uh, which means including everything, the pain, um, everything, the, the light, the darkness, everything is, is this happening, which is magical to me, being a human body. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like everything, the common denominator for all of it. And it's so odd to say, like you said, like the pain and the darkness, when you reduce it down, it all comes back to love. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And it's, that's what sort of makes me feel like or or strongly believe in some benevolent universe, energy, God, whatever name you use for it, that that energy is a positive energy, a positive, unconditional love. Yeah. You wrote the book, The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. Talk to me about the main inspiration and intention of writing your book, Wendy. Well, it, I had had an 
anxiety, panic, and obsessive compulsive disorder for almost 40 years when I decided to ask the question, could someone who had struggled with mental illness for that long ever find freedom from it? Because as I said before, I knew that I knew there was something, I knew there was a life for me on the other side of my disorders. And so I started on this quest and I, I called it my own hero's journey, right? To save myself. And I knew I would have to write my way through it to process what I was going through. And I did a lot of different therapies on my own, um, exposure therapy, a lot of meditation, going back to heal open wounds and, you know, really learn about and discover where the, where the anxiety started. I had my first panic attack when I was just six years old. So just to understand where that came from and how it metastasized over time. So the book really lays out the process that I went through to, like I said, go back and, and find those open wounds and heal them and re- do a lot of reparenting. And then what it looked like as I was as I was coming out of that and what my life looks like now, having found that freedom. And I, at, honestly, at the beginning, I started writing just to, like I said, to process what I was going through because I didn't know if I would actually find that freedom. I didn't know. I had no guarantee of what, what this journey would look like or where I would end up. So at first, the book was really just me saving myself. And then about halfway through, I saw this process unfolding that I thought I could share with other people that were struggling the same way I did and just felt like this was a way to go back and and help people that were on that same journey that I was. So um, a question that I have for you, I'm not sure if I can ask you this question because I'd love the, the listeners to read your book to find out the journey, of course, um, of your healing journey. But let's see if I can ask you this question. What have you found that that made you finally call freedom from anxiety? What was it? Yeah, the main, let's say, component. What would you say healed you from anxiety, if you can disclose that? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say first that it's important to know that it's I don't not having any anxiety anymore. That's not part of the human condition, right? There's a normal amount of anxiety in all of us, you know, for good reason, for survival purposes. Uh, and I still have more anxiety than more people, no question. I still have panic attacks. The freedom comes from the fact that it no longer controls me. I'm not afraid of it anymore. And I live my life knowing that it will come and that I will survive and I will move through it. And at best, I will learn something new from it. I call it my superpower now because it really shows me. I used to close the doors when I felt anxiety because I thought that the trigger, you know, I didn't want my anxiety triggered because I was so afraid of it. Now I welcome it. If something's giving me anxiety, I know that it's a place that I need to go. It's like it shines a light in outside of my comfort zone where my life is, you know, lived in amazing ways now um, in ways that I never would have even considered years ago. So that's really where the freedom comes from. Would you call that acceptance of what is, of how your body, mind operate in the world? Would you call that acceptance or perhaps surrender? 
I, I think both in different ways. I think that there was a lot of acceptance in my book. I think you can see that in a lot of different ways. There was an acceptance of what happened to me as a child. There was, I think acceptance is part of forgiveness as well. Yeah. Um, there's an acceptance of all of the, I thought I was broken, right? So there was mm-hmm. such um, an internal critic that was constantly beating myself up. So right. accepting that this is a normal way to react based on what happened to me. You know, it's not right. what's wrong with me. It's what happened to me. And this is a normal re- human reaction. Right. So there's right. a lot of self, I think self-love is accepted, mm, right? Yeah. So this book is a lot about <laughs> self-love. Yeah. Yeah, self-love, self-compassion. Oh, I love those topics because uh, it liberates us from, I mean, from so much. I actually call it unconditional self-love, the practice. It's accepting everything. We're not afraid to feel. Isn't that what it is, Went in a way? Yeah, it's, it's so, so powerful to yeah. be able to feel negative emotion mm, and know that yeah. it won't overtake you. I think so many of us buffer against that, right? Yeah, and we, yeah. we eat and we drink and we overwork and, and we're running and running and running mm. from feeling anything negative. And once we do it and realize that it won't destroy us, it's so empowering. The yeah. other side of that is like, well, what, what else can I do? If I can, if you can do that, you can do anything. Do you believe in life after death or some kind of existence after the body? Yeah, I do. I do. Not the Catholic sense that I was. Yeah, I <laughs> but the more I meditated, especially after my mother passed like four years ago, and that was one of my biggest fears, one of my biggest sources of anxiety as a child, as a young child, was really ruminating on where I was before I was born and where I'm going when I die. And it's just, it was such an existential anxiety for me that overtook me um, a lot of the time. And now I've come to such a peaceful place around those thoughts that, you know, you can never know, of course, but just having this really strong connection with how everything is connected and how we are all part of this energy, this light that is the universe, um, I don't Mm. feel like that's extinguished when we stop having a human experience. I think we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. And when I think about, you know, that common denominator of love and and emotion, and I, I wonder sometimes if this is just a way for a spiritual creature to, Mm. you know, have another way to experience, like you were saying, like those emotions, right? I read this somewhere. You say avoiding triggers that provoke panic attacks is not a cure for anxiety, but an imperfect anxiety management strategy. So talk to me about the, the triggers. Uh, Yeah. Talk to me about this. This, this is interesting. I never heard it this way. I guess my triggers really started with things that would normally trigger anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. As a child, it was really, my home was volatile at times because of my mother's own untreated mental illness. So that was really the beginning of the triggers. And so I would, I would try to make sure everything was perfect and that there were no triggers 
for her so that she wouldn't get triggered and then that wouldn't trigger my own anxiety. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of walking on eggshells Mm -hmm. and um, trying to make everyone happy and all of those things. And then once, once the anxiety became my biggest fear, really anything would trigger it. And I say, you know, the wind blowing would trigger it. And that's actually true because if the wind blows too hard, then I start to think of a storm and where will I be in the storm? And will I drown if there's too much rain? And if will something blow and hit me in the head, like I would have all these, I would be catastrophizing all of the time. So really everything would trigger a panic attack or just a sense of anxiety. So that's when really the the walls of my world started closing in around me because it was really, I could not have a human experience and not have anxiety triggered. Yeah. So avoiding them over time, as I collected more ways to avoid them, I realized how tiny my world had become. So it's, it becomes painfully obvious that that is not a way to productively deal with your anxiety. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's really to go yeah. out and have it be triggered as much as possible so that you retrain mm. your brain to understand that it's not, the anxiety won't kill you. Right. right? Yeah. And then the more you become accustomed to those things mm. that are triggering it, the more comfortable you are in those scenarios, the, the less anxious you'll be, the fewer panic attacks you'll have. Mm. So true. That makes a lot of sense to me. Is that what you call uh, exposure therapy? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You keep exposing yourself and you just, you create new neural pathways, right? Because my, my inside world, the narrative that I had playing in my head was always the worst case scenario. And I thought about it so much that those became my real memories, right? Because our brain doesn't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So my real memories had, I had to recreate those, those memories in in some reality, not just in what was those catastrophes that were happening in my head. Something you mentioned in your book, something interesting too, you said um, about psychiatrists and self-help books and how they lack this personal experience and personal connection. Talk to me for a moment about that, Wendy. Yeah, I um I know a lot of people with mental health issues or really benefit from psychiatrists. So yeah. I by no means want to um, diminish yeah. the benefit that they that they can provide. But for me personally, I struggled with finding, and it was a two way street. I'll also say that uh, I struggled finding somebody that I was comfortable being vulnerable with and exposing my thoughts to. I didn't think that what was happening inside of me was okay. I had never heard of it. I had never talked to anybody about it. I didn't have the vocabulary to even communicate it to a psychiatrist. You know, for instance, the first time I saw one, I was in college and I had just called a suicide hotline and, and knew that I should probably go see someone. And the first thing they said was, you know, well, how can I help you? And of course, I have no idea how they can help me. Right, and, you right, know, then right. saying, well, what's going on with you? Right. And I, I was convinced that if I told them, well, I didn't know what was going on with me. At right. that point, I was deeply depressed and I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know how to find my way out of that state. Yeah. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't know how to communicate it. So, and I thought that if I tried to, that 
there would be consequences. And that was true for me along the way too, where I thought I would be removed from school or as I became an attorney, I had to hide how I felt all of the time. I was afraid to, to really expose it to anyone. So that crossover. And of course, that's not giving psychiatrists the tools that they need to help you. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The compound fear and then, yeah, hiding doesn't, help. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. I love what you, you call exposure therapy because that's what we need to expose the feelings. I love what you say. I think it's towards the end. I'm not sure where in your book. I can honestly say that I am the strongest I have ever been. I can honestly say that I love myself, every part, even the crazy thoughts, because now I know where they come from. That's a powerful statement, uh, especially the love myself part. <laughs> Every part of you, that's where we need to be. I mean, that we never left that place, um, but, uh, but somehow we have the feeling that we do. And then um, going back, it's, not, it's the healing journey, <laughs> the, like I call it. I love the chapter two called The Soul Food, chapter 30, where you talk about self-love again. As I shifted my focus to my mental health, becoming more self-aware, I began managing my weight with self-love. Ah, Wendy, thank you for that message. Uh, We need to hear that over and over, be reminded. So we're almost at the end of the interview, and I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a a passage from your book or any uh, chapter? I didn't prepare a chapter. I do have the book right here, but I don't want to take much of your time. Um, no, I, lo- I love that last one. I think that eating disorders, um, I will just touch quickly on yeah, that. that yeah. So so many people with eating disorders also struggle with anxiety or some other um, mental illness. I think that they you talk about the dance all the time. Those those two things dance uh, very well together um, because, you know, we're we're trying to destroy ourselves in some way Mm -hmm. because we find something not acceptable right right, about ourselves and it is that coming back home and that self-love and that acceptance Mm -hmm. of our whatever our human experience may be at that time that we can then start to you know cultivate that relationship with ourselves yeah rather than rather than using those things like eating and body image and what have you to um as a way of destruction yeah that's interesting that you say it that way because we find something that is not in our minds, it's a thought, a story that's not acceptable, then we try to destroy that by destroying ourselves, right? It is sad and also part of the human experience. And that a lot of times I wonder why some of us get to understand, to see clearly all this and kind of do what you do and just come out here and just talk about it and give light to it. I wonder what it takes, really, for some of us never do that, never get out of that space. And that's why, I guess, I question the idea of choice. It seems like life is just um, doing what it does. I think true power lies in, in vulnerability. And it has for me, you know, like you used the word surrender earlier. And I think that surrendering to what is and what we're feeling and being vulnerable and speaking our truth, all of that really is where I've found my power again, really. So I have this 
Last questions for you, the ending questions. Uh, I guess I have too many. Let me ask you this one. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Success for me now is um, a sense of peace and cultivating connection in my life. If something is stealing my peace or um, jeopardizing it, then the price is too high. Mm. And I really set up healthy boundaries and protect myself in that area. And then the more connection, the more deep, loving, true, authentic mm. connection I can make with people while I'm here and with myself, those are, those are where I find my successes. What is another word for healing? Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Healing feels like freedom for me. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Three things. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> I'm not sure. That love is the most important thing, that we all have everything we're searching for within us, and a really good night's sleep can heal a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, too. <laughs> true. <laughs> so true. And laughter. <laughs> that yeah. it's healing, isn't it? I mean, it's just, um, it feels like liberation, too, in a way, in a small way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much again, Wendy, for your presence, your wisdom, uh, and how fun you are. <laughs> and you're probably not even aware of that, but uh, meaningful spiritual mm-hmm. fun. Okay. So before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So my website is uh, Wendy Tamis, T-A-M-I-S, Robbins, with two Bs, um, .com. And my book that just became a bestseller this week on Amazon is on there. You can buy it there. And also my coaching programs, I coach one-on-one. And I also have corporate wellness programs that I put on. um, And there's more information on my website about that. And I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook, all under Wendy Tamas Robbins. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for having me. It was a delight. Bye for now, Wendy. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Wendy Tamas Robbins and her work, please visit wendytamisrobbins.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.